0: This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is Product Mastery Now. For seven years, it was called the Everyday Innovator, but I recently changed the name to Better Reflect Our Mission, which is to help you become a product master, creating products customers love. And for today's episode, a common question that I'm asked is how can an organization speed up their product development? One way is what our guest is sharing with us, which are the three P's of lean product development. That's Pipeline, Practice, and Process. His name is Steve Stuckey, and he has over 25 years of experience applying lean product development. If you want the detailed written summary of our discussion, along with a one-page action guide to help you put into practice the three Ps that we'll discuss, simply go to productmasterynow.com 340. Now, let's talk with Steve. Steve, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Well, thank you, Chad. I really appreciate being here today. I'm excited to be learning about this topic more, lean product development. Tell us, what is lean product development?
2: Lean product development is really about trying to put in place the best processes to improve product development in order to get better products done faster. Hmm. It's about eliminating the waste in the process level. It's looking at how teams can be as effective as they can be, using best practices on how teams work together. And it's about how management can make sure that there's real alignment across the organization on how people spend their time.
1: The part of that that really caught my attention was you characterized it as better products
2: faster. Yeah, that's the end result. I mean, that's what companies are looking for. You know, the lifeblood of manufacturing businesses, especially, is product development. And without leaving anything behind, high-quality products that meet customer needs, that's Mm -hmm. that's revenue growth, that's Mm -hmm. profit growth, that's share growth. And uh, I know that's what product development's really all about.
1: And part of that sounds like it comes through aligning the organization you mentioned.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a key part of it. And many times it's been my experience that the organization may not be as well aligned cross-functionally as, you know, in an optimal way to really focus on priorities. And uh, so that's a part of lean product development is uh, what's called the pipeline layer, which is about how that can really be done to make sure that people are working in a consistent way and everyone's rowing the boat uh, in the same direction.
1: I'm going to ask you why people are incorporating this, but I think I already know if we can build better products faster, that's really appealing. But tell us from your experience, why are organizations bringing in lead product development as part of the process?
2: The main reason is if you look at, um, again, products out the door quicker that meet all the customer needs that have been put in place, um, and not having to work harder to do so, but in a way that the organization can really absorb the work and, and succeed. You know, one of the things that lean product development one of the goals that it really has is, is is reflected in the the typical developer's day. If you look at how much time and effort is put into actually moving design forward in a typical developer's day, um, it's uh, surprisingly small. It can be as low as say twenty percent, is value added work as opposed to enabling time, which is value add- not value added but wasteful, and then and then pure waste. So, if it's focus, you focus on that and think about, well, what could happen if developers' time is significantly improved toward doing value added work? You know, that's if it can double, say, from 20% to 40%, is time spent actually moving the design forward through these principles. That's mm-hmm. a lot more products out the door faster.
1: I suspect also more satisfaction because you're seeing the contributions you make make more of a difference faster as well. And you're cutting out what some of us might think of as that fluff work, the work that is kind of distracting, that doesn't really contribute to the value-added part of our job.
2: That's really a good point. I mean, most everybody comes to work every day wanting to make sure that they contribute and get the the work that's on their plate done, and there's a lot of distractions that come into play uh-huh. now every day for developers. So actually, lean product development is a way that people can feel like they've accomplished more, got more done, and been more successful uh, by eliminating some of the things that get in people's way to do value-added work.
1: Hopefully, like me, listeners are convinced that this is important to look at and understand a little bit more about lean product development has a promise here of or the expectation, better products faster, reducing the time it takes to get products out to market, which is a pressure all organizations are facing. So help us go through the essentials of bringing this into an organization. And maybe if I'm a product manager on a product team, what my my part of that would be. And I know there's a framework that you use, the, the three Ps I suspect you'll talk to us about. So dive in how we would do this.
2: I think the um way to think about lean product development is it's really a holistic approach to improving uh, product development. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's been my experience a lot of times when when business leaders want to improve product development, they think about, well, we need to put time and effort into the process. We need to fix the process. And yes. There are um, good reasons to think about how to improve the process, but a holistic approach looks at the process itself and how to eliminate uh, bottlenecks and find waste and take them out. But it also thinks about how teams work together at what was called the practice layer. And, and that's when we start thinking about agile practices and acceleration events and, and ways that teams can be more effective. And it's also what's called the pipeline layer, which is the management overlay of how product development, if I use that term, to be able to make sure that priorities are communicated and that the organization is aligned and the resources and capacity is, is understood so that the organization isn't overloaded with more work than it can get done, which in many companies that's um, slowing everything down by having more work on people's plate than they can get done.
1: Yeah, I think if we ask uh, people if, if there's more projects than than resources available in an organization, when I do ask organizations that, I haven't had anyone yet say, "Oh no, we're fine. Right, we have things balanced well." Yeah. We've seen, you know, more than 2x the number of projects that actual resource availability that is reasonable.
2: You're right, and that's that's typical. It comes down to well, how do people spend their time huh? if they have that many uh, projects on their plate. And one of one of the things that the pipeline layer tries to do is one, it communicates a ranked list of priorities from the leadership team, cross functionally. So this one's number one, this one's number two, and all the way down to how many projects they feel like they can do through a forecasted resource across the function. So and it draws a line. These projects that are lower in the priority list, when we run out of resources, we're going to place on hold. So that it forces a focus around the top projects, which by itself will improve speed, and that needs to be communicated to the organization so that people cross cross the, the different functions work in an aligned way. And what I mean by that is there's a communication that goes out to uh, this on this ranked list of projects that asks people to to work in a in a particular way and to eliminate the bad multitasking that tends to happen. You know, everybody wants to contribute to all the projects they're assigned to. And, and typically, companies don't have the luxury of dedicating teams. So most developers are on multiple teams at the same time. So how do they spend their time? Do they Are they a good team member and they put time in every project every day? Or is it more the approach, which is what the uh, lean product level pipeline management tries to do, which is to ask the developers to work on top priority first until there's no more work to do? then work on the next, and then work on the next. And if the top project calls them back because they need help, put their time and effort there. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine the power of that, if that's if that's done across the organization and consistent the top priority projects are going to get the most amount of effort and they're going to get done sooner. There's also a realization that there's overhead for every project assignment that uh, a typical developer has. It's somewhere between 5 and 10% of someone's day in team meetings and being a team member and in the communications that happen, organization, administration work. And so when you have key developers on five, six, seven projects, you might have 40, 50% of their day taken away from doing value-added work. That's in the enabling bucket, which is the required work that isn't value-added. And so another element of this is there's an optimal number of projects that you want to put on people's plate in order for them to be most effective and spend more of their time. Doing value-added work. So, what is the optimal number? It's between two and three. Actually, you think it'd be one, but it's not. You want at least one fallback project, and typically for for product development, two to three represents the most amount of available time to be spent doing value-added work. Mm-hmm. It's when they're when they're assigned to five, six, seven projects. There's a lot of things that get in that come with that that will allow people to spend less time doing the detail work to move the design forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrible when you're on too many projects, you really can't feel like you're making progress on anything uh, at yeah. one time. And there, there's a, a movie uh, Office Space I, IT group. I don't know if you have saw this. I don't even Easy. know when it came out, maybe early 2000s. So anyone that's seen it, it's hilariously funny. But the, the developer sits down and figures out how much time he actually spends doing work each day. It's about 15 minutes. Right. He, he goes through his day at about 15 minutes he's actually writing code and getting things done.
0: So, we'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. In just 9 weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization.
1: I may want to go back and ask you more about this pipeline, but we talked about pipeline practice and process. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've got to process it all yet.
2: So process is the new product development process itself. And there's really two main areas of focus to be able to improve the process. So one is finding the waste and the wait time and the bottlenecks in the new product development process that um, is unique to every business. So, and the other is about making sure that development teams have the flexibility to reduce the number of deliverables that they have on their plate. When appropriate, to be able to flex and to manage the work that's reflective in what's important for their teams. So if there's not the ability to manage scope at the, pro- at the uh, project level, based on what the project is and the level, that's an important aspect of, of the process layer. But what really works here is taking a, a Kaizen type approach to the process to say, where are our bottlenecks? Where's the pain points? Why does it take so long in the wait time to get through these elements of work versus the actual work time? It's very much analogous to what you do in a fact, and where you would look for work in process and inventory buildup in, in front of a bottleneck. But in this case, it's design and process. It's invisible, right? But it's there. And so finding and and working through a concerted, continuous improvement effort at the process level to find and eliminate bottlenecks is the main work in the process level.
1: Yes. Some people regard the uh, theory of constraints, and I think the book was the goal about that. The goal. As the most important contribution to project management, right? Which is this whole notion of identify the bottlenecks, remove the bottlenecks, put buffers in where you need them, and you speed everything up. Finding your Herbie. What, what, what's the Herbie? I don't recall it from the book. Oh, the
2: Herbie—that's—he was the one who was that that was put at the beginning of the line, so that in in the book that was the the term for the bottleneck. Was okay. finding where your Herbie is.
1: Okay, and improve those bottlenecks.
2: Right? Yeah.
1: Let's dive into these a little bit more since we're talking about process. What do you see companies doing then in practice, you know, for delivering flexibility, eliminating bottlenecks? This sounds like a scrum sort of, you know, some kind of agile methodology you're probably seeing used.
2: Yeah. So, again, the, the lean product development methodology that I like to deploy with companies, the process layer that we just talked about, we talked about the pipeline layer, which is the management overlay. And then there's the practice layer in the middle, which is about how teams work. Okay, and and there's a number of of best practices around how teams work together that can really help improve the speed and the effectiveness of project teams. So one is agile practices, and the it really the way that I like to implement lean product development and agile for project teams uh, is to think about the project management practice as a continuum from waterfall on one end to agile on another. And especially for hardware projects, it's a matter of sort of balancing that so that you end up with a higher level view to what the project schedule is, but the team really engages around the best attributes of what Scrum and agile practices are with frequent stand-up meetings and visualization of the work. So putting those two together is what I've found to be the best way, especially for hardware projects, to move them forward, taking a uh, the best of both in a, in a balanced approach. There's a lot of good things that happen when teams come together frequently, communicate with each other, and the visu- and the, the work is visualized either physically or virtually using a scrum methodology or a Kanban approach for, for moving the work forward. So can't under-emphasize uh, under that enough. The other area in the practice layer which is really impactful is facilitated acceleration events. And there are three that I think are great for project teams, especially that help them in the front end, that fuzzy front end of product development. Uh One is called a market requirements event. And uh, what it does is it changes how work is done to come up with a a prioritized set of product requirements for what you're going to develop. Typically, that takes um, a series of meetings and multiple months for companies to come up with, for teams to develop their their product requirements. Market requirement event changes that to where a facilitated activity for a few days can take with the right customer facing people in the room through a process that identifies customer needs and moves that through a differentiated set of of features. And that turns into uh, product requirements and the level of performance for each that a team can agree on. And what it does is it really kickstarts product development for a project by accelerating the development of those requirements and aligning people around that. So that's a great event. Hmm. It's uh, typically a day to, for a big project, maybe two or three, that would take the team through that process of identifying the work. I've seen that replace, Chad, two, three months worth of iterations. In some cases, one project team felt like they saved six months. In their normal—that's a very large project—and their normal process of back and forth and sequential meetings to get to the same point. Who do you have involved in a market requirement? Even? Well, you want the—you want a number of people who are customer-facing, so you want um, people from the sales organization, obviously the marketing people. It's typically organized and and led uh, by uh, product management, uh-huh. and um, you want the developing the developers in there, so heads of engineering, operations. So I've. When typically seeing 20, 30 people in a, in a in a room to be able to go through the process of understanding the customer needs, understanding the competitive threats that are there. And it's a brainstorming activity after doing a market positioning for the new product that identifies, well, what are the key things that customers are going to value out of this new product? And it determines a level of differentiation that you believe this new product will be able to create around against your current product. and against the competitors as well as identify if there are points of parity that the product needs to have to at least make sure that you're as good as the um, as the competitors are. so you, there's not a reason why not to buy your new product and it categorizes that and prioritizes it in a way that's really very effective to develop the products with the most amount of differentiation and value okay. and it lines the group around what's important to focus on.
1: Yeah, it gets them all on the same page because they've had that exactly. shared experience together. Do you have mm-hmm. the customer as part of that? Or does this come after kind of the fuzzy front end work
2: where you may have done design thinking with the customer or something else? I've seen it more typical where it's after the design thinking with the customer feedback. So there's pre-work ahead of it, like a Kaizen, yeah. where the customer, the voice of the customer information is brought to this event. that can be done with customers, you know, NDAs in place, that kind of thing. But typically I've seen it done where the the VOC work is done as a pre pre-work. And that's brought in to a team to be able to say, well, um, what are the key differentiators that we want to make sure we focus on?
1: Excellent. Yeah. And one of the advantages of doing that, I, I want to dive into this more later, maybe you have a resource you can point us to, to find out more about these market requirement events. But so often there's, just, there's requirements that get missed that become important later. And there's misunderstanding about the requirements, right? And so if Mm -hmm. I'm in an organization and maybe I'm a product owner and I'm responsible for writing up the user stories, and then they get handed off to engineering or development to make these things real, either physically or in software, there's things lost in translation. Right. And having that shared experience where you're actually talking through and and everyone's learning about the requirements together, um, you lose less in translation.
2: Right. The real the, the reason why I, you're exactly right. The, the reason that that happens a lot is depends on who's involved in the development of what's important for this new product. And you know, really what the market requirement event does is what you want to do early is to converge or is to diverge around a lot of ideas and then to converge on what's really important to do. And that's, that's what basically a market requirement event does. And if the right people who are customer facing, especially uh, are in that event, it does a great deal to make sure that you don't miss things that are important and that you built alignment so there's not the loop back around, well, do we have the right product?
1: Good. And I think you said there's like three of these facilitated a type of events one could do. What are the other ones?
2: Right. There's another one that's called a PARM. It's a project and risk mitigation event. It's basically a way that the team can build a schedule in, a, in, a, in like an eight-hour period project schedule. It's a, it's a deliverables-based event. It's cross-function. It's basically to put together an overall project schedule, compress it, come back with a, with a date the team feels like they can meet with a level of confidence. And it identifies it's really a great time right then after the deliverables and the, the work requirements have been discussed to identify uh, risks, to fill out the risk register, and to prioritize the highest risks for, with mitigations. Okay. The PARM, Product yep. and Risk and Mitigation Event. Right. Project and risk mitigation. So it's a project schedule uh, is the output and the risk register for a team. So it's early in the product development process. Another one that has a great deal of value is called a rapid learning cycle. And rapid learning cycles are great risk reduction opportunities for project teams. It's early identification of the things that are unknowns. And it's a focus around key decisions that teams should make and what knowledge gaps they have that they need to close in order to make those key decisions. I like to couple that with a PARM event to be able to say, well, if these deliverables are the ones that are the biggest risks for the project. What are the things that we really need to learn ahead of making the, the right decision uh, about that key deliverable? So focus on that as a, as an activity. I've also seen where rapid learning cycles can become the way the project um, gets put together. I liked it for technology projects where really what you're doing is learning. Mm-hmm. So rapid learning cycles, all about the learning and the output of the deliverable is comes secondary. What's the, it's always implied in the work for doing the deliverables, but what rapid learning cycles does is make learning and key decisions explicit.
1: So it sounds like the, these are, consist largely of experiments. You identify your knowledge gaps, what you need to know to be able to make that decision, construct a, an experiment to collect the information to, the data to help you be able to make that decision. What's the time frame for a rapid learning cycle? Does that vary, or what do you see?
2: Yeah, it depends. So, if it's a around a key decision within a project, it could be a two to four week cycle mm-hmm. to go to go learn and to close the, the knowledge gaps. But it does, as you said, it starts with a hypothesis, and then it learned that you set up your uh, learning around around that to be able to decide what are the, the, the right direction to go. And, and it's a risk reduction opportunity as well for, for most projects, which help projects be set up for success. One of the things that kills projects is they're looping back to things that are to assumptions that were made and um, those assumptions turn out to be incorrect later, but you don't know that until you prove that that assumption was was wrong. And so what rapid learning cycles tried to do is surface those assumptions that you're making as a team, to learn to make the right decision and eliminate the possibility of loopbacks, which end up being project killers.
1: How does this line up with sprints? Do you have rapid learning cycles taking place to you know uh, understand what you don't know that you need to know and the results of that then feeding into the sprint planning?
2: Yeah, exactly right. So you can turn a rapid learning cycle into a, a multi-sprint activity. So typically within, say, You know, two weeks, there's an outcome. There's a one page summary of an A3 or knowledge brief, which is the typical learning output that teams do to be able to have an integration event, review their learnings with the team. But the knowledge gaps that lead into key decisions can be set up into a multiple sprint process that leads to the the outcome that you're looking for and, and managed within a sprint, within a sprint format.
1: I'm pretty sure most listeners are used to some of the terms we're throwing around, but just for clarity's sake, so the rapid learning cycle – two to four week, really exploring uh, what we don't know. It's, it's where we're conducting those lean experiments based off of our initial hypothesis. Sprints also typically set up either two or four weeks where we're doing the development work, mm-hmm. where we're addressing the requirements or the user stories or you know, whatever we call call that work that needs to be, and then delivering that at the end of that time in, in completed format. And then Kanban, you said, it was also another useful tool for maybe tracking the schedule work, and, and that kind of tells us what we're working on now and working on next, and is that how you keep track of that?
2: Yeah, Kanban is is a way to be able to limit the amount of work in process or WIP mm-hmm. that is that is on the developer's plate. The one thing that I like about it is that typically it's a pull process where work is pulled to developers when they've got the availability to do the work, and so it eliminates the overloading of tasks on people. It's a it's a variant. It's a it's a way to be able to still in the visual management way still with uh, frequent stand- up me address the work as opposed to the uh, standard scrum board which is moving everything from left to right but that but doesn't have typically the the whip limit built in
1: good okay so that's some things on on practice anything else that we should discuss on the practice as- aspect of this
2: I just think that you know those are the main elements it's the you know agile practices coupled with for hardware especially coupled with um, with Waterfall, the frequent stand-up meetings that uh, can't be underestimated for their value and, and the opportunity to incorporate the ability to get a large amount of work done in a short period of time using uh, rapid, re- rapid learning cycles, PARMs, and, and market requirement events. So
1: pipeline is kind of, is that management level of, of the process. We, we got pipeline, practice, and process are your three Ps. Right. So pipeline is really the, the kind of management level. I might think of it as, as portfolio level where we're selecting the best projects to do, and we're optimizing the likelihood of success by prioritizing projects and getting the, best, the most important projects done faster and using our resources better optimally on like two to three projects at a time. That's right. Practice is really how the team works together. And we're, we're probably using some form well, somewhere on that spectrum of waterfall to agile. And we're using some project management methodology to help us actually deliver the solutions, address requirements. And you gave us some really good tips on acceleration events and then process. I don't have a clear picture in my mind yet of what actually goes into process. I remember you saying that it was unique to the business, which I appreciate that this needs to be kind of tailored to the structure organization, how how the the culture works in the business. What else is is contained in process?
2: So it's primarily about finding where the bottlenecks are in the process itself. Okay. It's it's working in a in a continuous improvement way through many kaizen events to say, well, how are we going to take what takes seven days today, for instance, to go through this particular process and typical time frame, and how can we cut that in half? Okay. So what what we need to do to change how we do work in order to reduce bottlenecks. I mean, it, also, it also is about giving the flexibility to the project teams to tailor the requirements for new product development based on the scope of their project. Okay, um, As long as they have an opportunity to do that, to review with sponsors, things that really don't make sense for them to do, you're eliminating uh, work and waste. Another, another area of lean product development is a review of the deliverables. And Many times there are deliverables that are done, that are archival, that really don't add a lot of value to the team. A great opportunity to go through and review that. Or when, when work is, is asked for earlier than is reasonably attainable. So if a detailed business case, for instance, is asked for, it's well before teams uh, really fully understand maybe what a full business case ought to be as an example. So it's a review of that to say, are we asking for the right information at the right time? Are there archival documents which don't really add a lot of value that are end up being, you know, that, that enabling time? So non-value added but required and how to find and eliminate to reduce the impact of those. Okay,
1: that's very helpful. So focus on this continuous improvement aspect. I know one organization that I've worked with, he, he's the lean process manager, right? And that sounds like his mm-hmm. responsibilities is to be improving what they do for lean process right. Um, in a project-driven organization, this might be something I assume that might come out of the project management office, um, pro- providing that continuous improvement.
2: Right, a s- person who has continuous improvement responsibility is typically or, or a lean um, organization, or it could be the you know program management office has that responsibility. Okay,
1: very good. Well, thanks for taking us through the three Ps how we can do a better job getting products out. Better products out faster. As I should ask you real quick about resources, right? Because we've covered a lot of things here. Any good suggestions
2: for resources to dive in more about lean product development? There's some really good thought leaders, mm-hmm. um, authors that I would have referenced that I think are, are great reads. One that in particular that I that I like is the gentleman named Ron Mazzatelli. He is a consultant and he wrote a book called Mastering Lean Product Development. And what I really like about it is that he takes a practitioner's approach to the improvements that need to be made. And a lot of what I've referenced today comes from my learnings and working with as a a coach for businesses that I worked for. So I would highly recommend his book, Mastering Lean Product Development. Another would be Norbert Majerus. Uh, What he did through lean-driven innovation at um, Goodyear is really inspirational. On how they were able to reduce their average cycle time significantly using using lean principles and continuous improvement over multiple years. Kathleen Radica, she's got a book called High Velocity Innovation. It's all about rapid learning cycles. And, and I think that there's good value in Eric Reese's book on the lean startup, thinking about how minimal viable products and the build, measure, and learn cycle uh, can be used, uh, and also incorporating customer feedback throughout the development.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I think, you know, that Lean Startup book is what brought a lot of this to attention, even though it existed a long time before with the Toyota Production System. Right. And the one I would follow exactly. on to Lean Startup would be uh, Ash Mariah's Running Lean, mm. some good practical insights into how to think about hypotheses and construct experiments and get data. So, okay, excellent. Thank you for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. As listeners know, we love uh, Innovation Quote. What do you have for us? And tell us what that means to you.
2: Well, I thought about a number of different quotes that there's a lot of famous ones out there by, you know, Einstein or Henry Ford, or Thomas Edison. I picked one that I thought was really relevant. It's, you can't discover new oceans unless you have the courage to lose sight of the shore, and it's anonymous. And what I like about it is the, is the truth in it, that that it's really safe to keep an eye on the shore, but, you know, how much improvement can you make unless you you know, venture out. And, you know, a lot of innovation is about opening mindsets to possibilities and, and within an organization process innovation, thinking about how work can be done differently. So thinking about that as a change agent within your organization is what I like about the quote and to be, you know, bold and have the courage to be able to decide that there's a better way to do things. It can be really challenging to be that person in an organization, but it can also be very rewarding. That's
1: very good, right? Sometimes we have to step a little bit further out of our comfort zone to discover uh, something
2: better. Exactly.
1: Good. Thank you for sharing that and all the wonderful information. How can listeners find out just more about the work that you do? And if they want to reach out to you, how could they do that?
2: The best way to reach me is I have a, a website that people can reference. I'm at leanprogramconsulting.com. And or you can find me on LinkedIn, Steve Stuckey at on LinkedIn i happy to be able to have a conversation with anyone who would uh, like to learn more.
1: Great. And Steve Stuckey on LinkedIn, the, the Stuckey is spelled Stucky, isn't it? S-T-U-C-K-Y.
2: Correct. S-T-U-C-K-Y.
1: What's the uh, origins of that, the the pronunciation of Stuckey?
2: Yeah, it's a uh, German-Swiss. Uh, so mm-hmm. I believe if in Germany, if you put an umlaut over the U. I was going to say,
1: I was wondering if that was an umlaut.
2: Yes, <laughs> that, that's it.
1: Yeah. I, 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 my wife is half German, but I, I still have trouble with pronouncing those those umlauts and other things.
2: So, yeah, very good, Steve. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Chad. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Product Mastery. Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.